Welcome to ASAR Training and Response Podcast. This is Episode 7, where we interview emergency planner Carrie Gerst about how to plan for animals in disasters. Welcome back, everybody, to the ASAR Training and Response Podcast. With us, as always, is co-host Carla Lewis. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being here today. And we are really excited to have with us from Johnson County, Kansas Emergency Management Assistant Director, Carrie Gerst. Um, Carrie, tell us a little bit about your role with Johnson County Emergency Management and uh, a little bit of your past planning uh, and disaster adventures. Uh, well, thanks, Eric. Thanks, Carla. I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part of your podcast today. Um, I'll just kind of start with, you know, I've been a, an emergency manager going on 30 years now. I've spent the last seven and a half, almost eight years with Johnson County Emergency Management, taking care of the county's emergency planning function, along with other tasks such as training and exercise and some of our day-to-day things. But, you know, really my primary goal is to make sure that, you know, not only my planning partners, but also the, the residents and, and everyone who lives in Johnson County has a good understanding of being prepared for disasters and then how the county fits into responding and recovering from disasters should something like that occur. So I've been at this for a really long time, as I mentioned. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, one of my rules is I don't know what I know until you ask me. So feel free to just ask away. (laughs) That's great. And, you know, I met Carrie, gosh, Carrie, I don't even know how long we've known each other now as we've worked uh, through different phases of development and, and seeing everything from our development as a regional partner for the Kansas City metro area, but then also bring it to our county level, but then also enhancing some of the communication and networking and resource identification through our local jurisdictions. And this is where we wanted to really bring you into play today because we have lots of questions from partners that don't know uh, kind of what they don't know. They don't know that there is probably a county emergency operations plan in their area. They don't know that ESF 11 is named in there in some fashion, and they may not know whether they are named as an agency. Uh, we've run into that before when either an animal control agency or a shelter agency is listed as an ESF 11 resource, but they've never been told they were listed as a resource. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have an opportunity to talk about several things. And, and the other funny part, when I got to no carry was we found out that we knew a lot of the same people we hadn't crossed paths before before uh, New Orleans but um, many of the people that we played with during Katrina uh, we still continued to interact with and just had never crossed our paths until we sat out and talked one day so it's funny how small of a world emergency management uh, can really be. Mm, yeah it it is definitely a, a family sort of environment when you get right down to it. Uh, the best friends I've made, you know, throughout my entire career uh, are still friends today. And it doesn't matter how far I've moved away. It doesn't matter how many years have passed since we were on one disaster site or another. But, you know, emergency management as a field is actually quite small. And when I completed my bachelor's degree some, you know, 20 years ago in this field, I was at the only university that even had a program that did it. And of course, this is pre 9-11. And, you know, we had like 35 people in our, in our program and, and the university had only graduated, I think, well, well less than 300 total at the time. So, 
you know, we, we tend to continue to cross paths when we go to conferences and, you know, when we show up at, at various different functions. And it's really kind of nice because it's, it's like no time's been lost. It's like, oh, hey, hey, how's, you know, how have things been going? And, you know, what you've been doing since I saw you last time. Uh, and you just never know who you're going to come across. Uh, you know, and to the to the younger emergency managers coming behind me, I always sort of stress the fact. I said, you know, don't burn your bridges. These people are are going to be your contacts. They're going to be your confidants. They're going to be your your best mentors and advisors that you can have moving forward. And yeah, Katrina was a, a long time ago, but you know, it's it it's really funny when it was years after that. You know, Eric and I getting together and comparing notes, and it's like, whoa. We were both there doing stuff. You were in there after the fact doing stuff. Uh, I think it was Gustav or something you went down for. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you were able to actually see and, and, and witness a lot of the work that, that I had been doing back after Katrina. And so for me, it was a great uh, validating point that you know, all the hard work, sometimes as emergency managers, we never get to see the, the fruition of, of all the effort that we put into what we do and then something happens people are like yeah I, I went down to this uh disaster and we did xyz and then i get to think wow that's because of a plan i wrote and it got used and it worked and to me that's that's really all that matters uh when it comes to the the job that i do is is it effective and does it make an impact to the 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 people in the region uh that may be victims of disaster or or the community at large. So it's, uh, it's always a great awakening when I run into people that either we've crossed paths before or we haven't, but there's always been that tie, whether it be work or a disaster, whatever, whatever it happens to be, it's, it's, it's just proof that emergency management is a, is a little family and, you know, we all have the, the same common goal that we share. So Carrie, can you explain a little bit how um, animals come into your plan as a planner like is that something that's on the forefront I know you know we all know human life safety comes first and I think a lot of um, animal control officers and agencies feel like they are not part of any plans or they don't know that they're part of any plans and um, sometimes animal issues um, don't become an issue until you know something really bad has happened and then and then things kind of escalate what uh, what do you what has your experience been um, how animals affect a disaster? Sure, um, I'll probably take it back just a little bit. You know, emergency management for a long time we've always been concerned about you know protecting uh, life and property to the extent that we can. But we've seen in past disasters where you know if an, an evacuation is called for, let's say it's for flooding or a hurricane or something that's coming in. There are people that will refuse to leave because they're not going to go without their pets. And being a pet owner, I completely understand how they feel about that. So, you know, several, many, many years back, that kind of planning was never included when it came to the emergency operations plans for local jurisdictions or even for organizations and, and, and other entities that might have a role to play. And as time went on, the need for that type of planning was becoming more apparent. And I, and I think for me, where I saw the biggest turning point was actually Katrina. And we worked very closely with the Louisiana SPCA in setting up, um, you know, planning for pets. And, and I think that's where it really uh, took off 
w was was after that disaster. And the one thing that I had been working on down there was the uh, New Orleans first city assisted evacuation plan. But a big part of that is how do we handle getting all these people out and their pets. So, you know, that type of planning, we, we saw the need, we saw the importance, and we integrated it into everything that we were doing in terms of evacuation. We made sure that if a family came through and they had pets, that we had a system to actually barcode everything together. We had like barcoded wristbands and, and tags and things so that, uh, you know, family members would be associated with each other. Any belongings, they were all allowed like one suitcase to take with them that would also uh, be tagged uh, to that specific family. But if they came in with a pet, we had an entire system for that pet um, to also be associated, you know, through that barcode, it would uh, have a kennel waiting for it. And then it would go to a pet shelter that would be relatively, uh, you know, if not co-located very close to wherever the, the human shelter was. So that's where I kind of saw planning starting to change for emergency managers and that need for pets. And this is before we even had, you know, the emergency support functions like we do now. And we do have, you know, ours in Johnson County with the SF-11, which includes a lot of different things, but it's, its biggest component is really how do we handle uh, pets, uh, service animals, livestock, you know, if it, if it, if it lives and breathes and isn't human, but we somehow need to make sure that we plan for it, then we make sure that that's all integrated. And Carla, to your point about, you know, some agencies or organizations not having a full understanding if they're involved in this planning, I, I couldn't agree more. I know there's a lot of groups that probably have a big interest in having a voice and input into the planning process. And to those people, I say, you know what, call me. Uh, let's get together. Let's talk. Let's let's see what kind of of resources you have and how we can integrate you into the plan. If you're not sure if you're a part of our plan, call me. Uh, I can tell you immediately who's on our list and who isn't. And it's not anything that is something that we hand picked. You know, well, we're only going to use this these organizations because they have these resources. No, <laughs> if you've got resources and you've got a willingness and a desire to be a part of planning for pets, uh, pet rescue, even when it comes to hazardous materials and other things. I, I think it's really important that, you know, myself at, at my job with the county and the rest of our department, as well as the rest of our stakeholders, have a clear idea of all the resources that are available to us in and around the county. And that's one thing we've just never really been able to put our finger on um, you know, and especially with Johnson County, we've always said that we are resource wealthy. And I think that's true. But I still couldn't sit down and tell you everything that is available to us in terms of, you know, not just the regular emergency preparedness or, or response uh, activities that we have, but also when it comes to pets. And, uh, you know, we started to get some meetings together with, you know, animal control officers and and other groups here in the county. And I wanna see that continue to grow and so that those relationships are, are, are built. If, if we haven't built them yet, if we do have those relationships, I would like to see them get strengthened. But my door is open, my phone is on, and I am always ready, willing, and able to, to hear what, what people have to offer and how can we 
as a whole community, that's a big FEMA buzzword these days, this whole community, how do we bring all these pieces in together so that we really can provide the best in preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation for disaster? Hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, sometimes people think, um, you know, the emergency management knows everything. They know where, like you said, where all the resources are, where everything's at. And I know, you know, as an animal control officer, and, you know, we've worked together for years uh, with disaster planning, you know, with animals in mind. And, you know, like you said, we're, we try to bring all of these agencies in, the, the shelters and the animal control officers and, you know, even the law enforcement, because most of the animal control in our area is managed under law enforcement. And, um, you know, it's, it's just really important that all of those organizations come in and try to get involved uh, and, and not just assume that emergency management, you know, knows that what resources are available to them. Uh, and Carla's absolutely right. And, and for our listeners, we're actually starting a drinking game this morning. Every time Carla says, you know, you can take a <laughs> shot of your coffee because there were about 20 in there, which is awesome. I hope uh, take those out oh leave them in in. because it was a good point and it's funny it's all crap but i'm over here dying i can't catch my breath every time you say you know um it's like the what was the tv show how i met your mother and they had a butt um game oh right yeah thank you no it was awesome leave that in carla i think that's mine but now that you mentioned that i'm going to be paying attention there because you know so you know (laughs) you know (laughs) we have officially titled this podcast you know with carrie Uh, yeah uh, absolutely leave it in so (laughs) and carrie you bring up some outstanding points with that and we're gonna we're even gonna get to some of the basics here there are some of our listeners that may not have ever seen an emergency support function list and if you are listening and don't know what an uh, emergency support function is just Google it real quick, FEMA, ESFs, or emergency support functions. It will give you a list of basic, uh, it's broken up into basic divisions to help coordinate resources and usually help streamline communications at that higher level. It's basically just a, a basic organization. And for animals, we're under ESF 11 most places. If you're in Florida or along the East Coast, you may be ESF 17. Um, but some of the challenges that we have found over the years and in my planning and Carrie's planning not only sits at a county level we have planned at a federal level we've planned at a state level all the way down to helping agencies get their plans going and through all these different levels of planning we consider every emergency support function it's not just animals but you would be surprised how far an animal piece can spread among emergency support functions and one of the things that we strive to do is increase that awareness and communication with fire, with hazmat, with search and rescue, with transportation, with logistics. When you get into these other mass care, uh, well, mass care, that's the biggest one for sheltering, right? ESF6. Um, But when you get into these functions that are built to support people, again, Carrie said it, if you have people, you will have animal issues. So you need to plan for them. And yes, they may not be on the forefront, but what we're seeing now, we've seen a transition or we're seeing a transition of more animal planning, even at small scale, for a surge capacity during event, which is right up front, to handle pet issues or at least address pet issues. Now, for the emergency managers, they're now cringing in their seats, thinking (laughs) that I've just given you a lot of work to do. It can be as simple as a canned PIO 
response or, or message out to the public saying we have a pet program that we are enacting. We have resources. If you'd like to be part of that resource group, please contact the ASF 11 desk. Or if you've got pre-planned co-location or cohabitation shelters, please contact XYZ. So these, these pre-canned, you know, pre-written uh, messages that you can put on the front end of your PIO reports uh, to give people that that strategy, so to speak, on what they're going to do next with their animals uh, really has proven people will move faster. They want to get in on those things. Resources will have a place to congregate because we know if we don't fill that gap up front, social media will fill it on its own and it may be a response message and resource or it may not and if it's not it takes us days to wrangle that back in and coordinate it so people's uh, pets aren't lost or misplaced or an irresponsible party hasn't taken custody of an animal and then they disappear from a disaster um, so it's critical to kind of get some of these things in place and then again taking the time and I'm reaching out to the individual agencies now that may not know their emergency management most emergency managers, and I'll tell you up front, it's not going to be every emergency manager in every county will make time for you uh, to sit down and talk about animals. Some may put you off. Some may say it's never going to be a priority. Some may tell you it's not their responsibility. You need to reach out to another state organization. I get it. You may be frustrated, but don't give up. Get out there. Try to find somebody to open a door. Try to find somebody, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hold Johns County uh, up here on a pedestal. They have offered any time that we want to have a networking meeting with the resources in Johnson County or the Kansas City metro area. If their meeting room is available, they will host us and and get us all together to talk about the issues. That's something you can do in your jurisdictions. And if they host monthly ESF meetings with the different emergency support functions, when fire meets, when hazmat meets, when mass care meets, they're open to the public most times. Go pop in and say, hi, I'm with XYZ Animal Resources, or I represent this agency as an animal control officer, or I'm a shelter management person. I just want to know what's going on in the people world so we can start to adapt our animal resources towards it. So, Carrie, as, as you've gone and worked with different ESS, because I know you hold monthly meetings, have you found animal issues to occasionally come up in, in some of those or any challenges to try to get us all together? You know, honestly, animals come up in every ESF, just like you said. And, and part of that is because we're, we're looking at it from a functional perspective, which means uh, if we've got a lot of animals that need sheltering, we're going to be looking at mass care because those people that are going into human shelters are not going to want to be far away from their, their furry babies. I know I would not want to be. We're also looking at, you know, <laughs> this is going to be a, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of conversation. <laughs> but if we have a lot of abandoned animals or lost animals that end up, don't necessarily have, you know, the owner there claiming, claiming them, we have a transportation problem. And that is one of our ESFs, which is ESF1 for transportation. And for us here in Johnson County, that means the movement of things, the movement of people. I don't really like referring to animals as things, but movement of anything is movement, and we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to figure out what kind of trucks we're going to need, where are we going to put them, how are we going to get them there, that whole spiel. And then you start getting into things such as the firefighting, the search and rescue. And, and I also want to throw in that 
we're not just looking at the whole pet aspect here, but we have a lot of animals, cadaver dogs, search and rescue dogs, uh, animals that might be used in a response or a recovery that also need care. You know, we, we set up respite areas for our firefighters and other responders, but we also need to be conscious of the fact that we have four-legged uh, rescuers as well that are going to need that kind of care. And, and we try to weave that kind of planning in. But I, I cannot think of a single ESF where animals hasn't come into it. If it's ESF 15 with the, the public information, then you got the whole messaging thing. If it's uh, for us, ESF 14, which is still currently recovery, that's still about, you know, how do we get people and their pets back into their homes? How do we reunite pets with their owners? So it's all a recovery process. And, and I can just go down the line and find examples of every single one of them. And where we find the challenges, at least, you know, on our side, is we're, we're trying to emphasize the importance of animals in all of this, especially the whole pet aspect of it, obviously. But, you know, we're always looking at the human side of things, which that's where emergency management has been the entire time is we're very focused on, on the people. But I think we need to find that good balance of people and animals and, and still whole community because uh, I, I don't know what I would do if, if I didn't have my dog. If I get called in on an emergency, she has a, a kennel and supplies and everything actually set up in my office and she goes with me. So we kind of have to also think about what are we doing on the preparedness side that reduces that burden during response for you know, either my office or other government entities to come in and clean up and take care of things. But if we don't start with ourselves, then you know, we're just doing the entire community a disservice by not being prepared for these things. I have a go kit in my car for my dog, which we actually needed this past weekend because I was stuck in another state oh, no. get home <laughs> because of the snow. I had only planned to be gone two days. I ended up being gone four. Wow. But I had everything I needed for both my, my dog and myself because I had everything set up in my car and prepared just for such an event. And if we could just get more people to kind of understand that, that whole preparedness aspect and that you know, disaster response and recovery, the, the whole, whole circle of life in my world starts with the individual and having that, that preparedness piece. So if, if owners, pet owners can you know, take the time as they're putting their, their preparedness kits together in their homes to make sure that, yes, I'm sure they're accounting for their children if they have them, but also their furry children. Do we have enough food? Do we have toys? Do we have, you know, bedding, whatever it is that they might need during that time? Do we have a plan that if we're sort of trapped, how are we going to handle those, those pet needs? You know, you can't necessarily get them out and take them for a walk every time, but uh, and I've run into that as well. I've been snowed in with a dog before and it's like, okay, we're going to put the papers down. He knows what to do. This is what we do, but we prepared for it. And, and I can't emphasize the preparedness message enough. That really reduces the challenges that we have as planners in emergency management when it comes to the handling of, of pets, service animals, and, and, and our other little furry or feathered or scaly friends. Carrie, as someone who works for both a governmental organization and a non-governmental organization or an NGO, 
um, how important are those organizations and volunteer organizations to um, emergency planners? And, and what's the best way for NGOs to um, become engaged in disaster planning? Oh my God, they are so important. And the, the biggest reason being is because there just aren't a lot of emergency managers. While my office, yeah, there are six of us. We each have specific jobs, but we are working all the time. You get out anywhere else in Kansas, or, or really many states, you're talking there might be one person wearing that one emergency management hat, but I guarantee you they got a dozen other hats also on the shelf that they have to wear. And it, it becomes really critical for them that they have NGOs or voluntary organizations that are there with the resources and the skills necessary to come in and partner up and help. And there are so many organizations that, that I might not even know about that we have available to us locally. And I would, I would really encourage, you know, any, any listeners that are part of volunteer organizations that may not be active in disaster right now or VOADS as we call them to, to please, you know, get in touch with emergency management or perhaps even another, uh, NGO that would have a role to play because a lot of times they can partner up as well. They bring different resources uh, to throw at any particular incident that might be going on. We saw that uh, a few months back when we had a tornado in the county just across our county line to the north of us where, you know, we've got, um, you know, folks that all they do is come in and cut up trees. You know, it's just a, a chainsaw brigade. They come in and cut up trees. But not everybody has access to these things. Maybe you've got a, a bunch of uh, church groups like I do back in Iowa that all they do is come in and clean up after a flood. But they pair off together with other NGOs that can help finish the job so that it's kind of a complete deal. But the county where I grew up has a part-time emergency manager who is not, shall we say, uh, trained in the way that a lot of us are. They're just you know, someone who's you know, either the, the bank president or one of the firefighters, but it's not their full-time job. They're, they're doing this part-time. They don't have the complete understanding of emergency management. So in order for them to get everything done that they need to get done, those NGOs are extremely critical. But it's also not to say that even if we're in a big city or a big area like ours, that we could do this ourselves. We can't. It is a team effort. And if I didn't have all of the organizations that partner up with us that are our support agencies, we couldn't do this either. Uh, one thing that it does help in my perspective and what I've seen in the past is that having those volunteer organizations, number one, if you're dealing with a community that has people that are, are distrusting of government, but they'll trust those NGOs a little bit more, then it also helps to get that community back on their feet. You know, they're not seeing that it's just the government coming in to take over or do something. That's, that's not what we're there to do. We, we come in as a whole community. We all pitch in to clean up and put things back the way they were. So. I really can't, uh, I can't, I can't knock NGOs for anything. I, I wouldn't be able to do my job without them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think some of the issue is that, you know, we have all these animal control agencies and shelters and private rescue groups, and they have all these resources. And a lot of times they go to things like social media when something happens and make their, you know, availability known but they don't work within the emergency management um, structure. So what is the one thing that maybe these 
agencies could do, these rescue groups, things like that? What could they do to work within um, their local emergency management, uh, maybe even at the planning stage before we get to that part where it seems like the need is there? Yeah, and, and sometimes that can be a tough one. Um, you know, me being one person, being one planner, I wouldn't even begin to put my finger on every single organization that would be out there. So for me to send an email or a notification going, hey, uh, I see that you're here. Would you like to come in and be a part of our planning? I think it's good if organizations kind of, I don't want to say keep tabs, but that that's really what it is, you know, to stay informed about the other things that are going on, whether it's through other organizations, through, you know, the government departments that have a role in disaster, or if they see that there's an exercise coming up, uh, you know, we at the, the region level here, you know, there's a calendar that the public can look at and see that we have exercises and training and all kinds of stuff going on. Probably the biggest message is just get involved. Wherever you see a door, go through it. I mean, maybe you have an opportunity to, to play in an exercise with, with one of the groups and, and maybe you don't, but at least you're making yourself known that, hey, I'm here. I'm here to help. And I do understand that we don't want to be duplicating effort. I mean, from, from my seat, that's one of the things I really kind of watch out for is I, I want to be care careful of duplication of efforts because that reduces the, the uh, resources that we have as we start splitting them all out. We're, we're much better at maximizing what we have if we all work together. And so for part of that, I think it's, it's really on the organization's part to, to reach out to other partners. We have in the past, at least around here, had a couple of instances where uh, a volunteer group decided to go out and feed people, but they didn't really talk to the city emergency management or county emergency management. They just kind of went off and did it. And I was saying that that's a bad thing, but what it did is kind of got in the way of those traditional organizations like Red Cross and Salvation Army and some of the others that they do have the, the working relationships with emergency management and they kind of understand, hey, we have a limited amount of resources to throw at this and so you know if we can combine everything that's great but if we have some sort of ad hoc group coming in deciding they're going to do this and they don't want to play well with others sometimes that gets in the way and it, it can even hamper uh, response and recovery operations so you really have to look at what is it I'm bringing to the table how best can I you know inform or get engaged with the emergency managers or, or response groups that are already working something, already planning stuff. There's always planning stuff going on. I mean, if there wasn't, I wouldn't have a job. Uh, you know, but, but that's part of it is just getting yourself engaged and getting through that open door and at least get the ball rolling. And I think it'll, it'll really be a lot better when that day comes that we all have to get out and, and start you know, doing a disaster response of some sort. Yeah, I really couldn't agree more with all of that. Uh, just showing up and being present is 90% of the game sometimes. And it's, and, you know, a lot of us are relating on the, on the animal side of this is, you know, we're known as the animal guy or the animal girl or uh, some of that in some of these meetings, but that's okay because people then have mm -hmm. in their head, at least that there is an animal guy or animal girl or animal representative uh, in play. And it's, it's not just the animal ESS guys. Um, you know, I, I went to the uh, state urban search and rescue conference several weeks ago and one of the ESF nine guys went to a state EOC 
um, and sat at his desk for two days before anybody even consulted him on what was going on. He had solutions to problems that other people were discussing in other rooms, but they didn't even know he was sitting there. So it's, it's not, you know, it's all about situational awareness and really thinking outside the box. And that's what's so great on the planning phase of things is we have the, the time usually and accessibility to broaden our scope and say, what if, and, and start to do some research. And that's where boots on the ground uh, really help us out. Because again, we're never going to know all the little resources that could be joining together to make a formative co coalition to really get things done. And, and it's not that hard to do it just takes somebody to say i'm gonna lead this and let's go find some people that'll do it with us and we've made a lot of progress you know uh, i started this back in 2000 i'm not gonna tell you the year um because we're not that old yet um but yeah we uh, are <laughs> when you said we're training the younger generation to come up i'm like nah, you I know, know. we, we kind of are but, but we don't need to yet so um no, but uh, we, we've seen really some, some fantastic jumps, um, unfortunately, because of catastrophic disaster, but we've seen some great things come out of it. Uh, with Louisiana and the flooding, we saw Cohabitation Shelter Toolkit came out, which uh, Cohab shelters, you don't have to have every shelter house animals with people, but having one in your community or two in your community to give people that option has already taken uh, effect into some of these disasters. We've seen it to be extremely successful. And then we saw the publishing of the updated uh, animal uh, resource typing in the, in the FEMA resource typing library in July of 2018 where they updated the typing for 20 different animal resources, including animal control officer, including the uh, animal search and rescue or the ASAR teams, the ASAR specialist. They even updated the human USAR team uh, animal specialist definitions to get those guys up to date. So we were all on the same page. And what this has done, it's really opened up a mechanism of continuity so we can access resources from boots on the ground in other areas all the way up um, through the system and and for those of us that or for those that haven't heard the term yet in the podcast when we're talking about sharing of resources between states typically it's done through the EMAC system or the emergency management assistance compact and what we're pushing here lately is that now we're seeing the pathway uh, and we actually use this in Texas during Harvey during Harvey Harvey comes in and overwhelms 43 counties all at once 43 counties say we need animal sheltering, we need animal control officers. They push it up to their county emergency management, which says, okay, we're tapped out. We're going to push it up to state emergency management. State said we're tapped out. So they pushed it out to surrounding states and said, we need to know what county animal response teams or CART teams are out there or what state animal response teams or SART teams that are active and have capacity to come to Texas to help in these variety of counties. And it went out in an EMAC request. And the problem was when the states received them, they said, well, we have a SART, but we don't know if it's active. Or we have a CART, but they're limited in capacity. They were really only built to support county efforts. They're not built to mobilize. And so what we're trying to establish going into 2020 is not only give 
a, a, a single resource like an animal control officer, a mechanism of communication to say, hey, I'm trained in disaster response. Here's my credentials. Uh, my, so my agency will let me travel and, and share resources and then get that to the county emergency managers so they know that resource is there. So when the EMAC request starts to filter down, we start to build that continuity of operations from boots on the ground all the way through the EMAC system down to agencies that need it. And what that's gonna do, it's gonna give more people play in an organized fashion. It's gonna give us enhanced networking of, of resources from sheltering to ACOs to everything in the animal resource typing. And you get some coverage coming in under the EMAC system. If you self-deploy or if you go in on an MOU or some other verbal handshake, um, you don't have much, number one, compensation, number two, legal liability protection of some sort. Um, and even though you've got that big heart and you want to help, we are really trying to make known that there are better ways to do this that can actually help you as a responder, help emergency management, keep track of resources. And remember, here's my mantra for this whole thing. If it's not documented, if we can't find that it happened after the disaster, it never happened, right? Huh. So if we don't have that metric that says we deployed these resources because there was a need, when we go back to the after action reports, were there any animal issues? No, I'm not seeing any. I think they were good. All right, on to the next problem. So I know, I know what you guys are saying out there. You're saying it's too slow to do it the government way, and we're just going to go when we're needed. I understand where you're coming from. It's that heartfelt need to get in there and help people, and God bless you for it. But if we don't have metrics that you were there, you didn't help anybody. You helped one person. If you get inside the system and you work inside the system and you create those metrics and we can see it afterwards, you help thousands of people. And I can't drive that home enough to, of, of that impact, folks. So there I got on my soapbox. We went a little bit down the rabbit hole, but that one's so important to know that there is continuity for single resources if they just get in and network and work within the emergency management system and stop self-deploying where we can't track them and and, and I'm not saying track is the government wants to put a chip in your head. It's already there. Don't worry about it. They put it in when you were born, guys. You've been tracked from day one. So, um, but, you know, we've got to have those metrics to show the animal needs for progress in our planning efforts. All right, Carrie, do you have any final words of wisdom for those of us out there planning for animals and um, how they can best work with their emergency management? You know, it, I think probably my my one and only piece of, of wisdom that I can say is just get involved. You know, if you're just going to sit back and let everybody else take the reins and do this, it, it really is about engaging yourself. And if you don't do it, you're not going to be able to bring all of your, your gifts and your talents and your resources to the table. I'm never going to know that you're out there and that you have things that can help me do my job that can help both of us in our communities and to really serve the, the population that, that we are there to, to help in a crisis, but also to help get prepared. Uh, you know, so many times you got people that are, are more followers than leaders, but I, th I think just find the leader in all of us and, and we can do this and get it together. Uh, you know, engagement doesn't have to be anything more than a phone call. Ask what's going on. Get on the internet and see where you can come and participate. I push participation with our folks all the time. And I try to keep everything fresh and different so it doesn't get stale and you're not coming to the, to the same old workshop every single month. But we shake it up a little bit. and We do things differently. 
you know, just get out there, see what's going on. If you're not part of an organization, find one. You know, maybe maybe you don't have uh, the resources yourself to uh, get around or to uh, you know be at meetings and all kinds of other things. But there are other ways to be involved and and to be engaged. And as a planner, I, I really appreciate the efforts that I get uh, from everybody on all fronts. And you know, as I, I've said many times throughout this conversation, that I can't do what I do without everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm not a one woman show. I don't want to be a one woman show. And I really, I like the, the team effort that we have in sharing, um, you know, keeping our community as best prepared as we can uh, for whatever might come. That's, that's great parting thoughts there. And, and thank you, Carrie, so much for spending some time with us today. And we look forward to any time that you've got hot topics coming out of the emergency management world that you'd want to share. We look forward to having you back on the podcast. And Carla, uh, any parting thoughts and words of wisdom for the day? Uh, no, just everybody uh, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at ASAR Training and check out our Webpage at asartraining.com. <laughs>